Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. The title of this morning's message is Despised and Rejected. And by the way, you didn't walk into your um, average church. (laughs) For those of you who are here for the first time, I pray this is not your average church. Despised and rejected. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. A few chapters later in Hebrews 12, verse 2, says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. To despise is to detest, hate, loathe, abhor, sneer at, and scorn. And there are few people that have ever been truly despised in the truest sense of this word. But Jesus has been despised fully. To reject is to turn down, refuse, decline, shun, cast aside, discard, or abandon. To detest and turn one's back on someone is what Jesus experienced to its fullest. But he knew why he was on earth, for the purpose that the Lord had for him. The very plan of salvation was coming to a head through Jesus Christ, and he knew he had to go to the cross, and he did it because he loved us and loves us today, you and I. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And in Matthew 20, verse 28, in Jesus' own words, He said, Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew why He was sent by the Father. It is with this background and understanding that I would like to bring us into our time of study in this chapter of Matthew. Because the one thing I want us to keep in mind is that Jesus was not doing this against His will, but according to the will of the Father for the sake of the world, even the very people that were condemning Him to death. I know sometimes we think about it, we say it, but really we need to understand what that means and what that looks like in our lives. Consider Jesus' words while he was on the cross. And he found himself to be between two criminals who were guilty. And those below were mocking him and scoffed at him. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is our God. He is just, but he's also merciful. He's holy and righteous, but He's also full of grace. 
Let's begin by reading the first few ver- couple verses here in this chapter. Which says, When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. This was uh, an act that the elders and the chief priests knew would lead to the certain death of Jesus Christ. The Sanhedrin gathered first thing in the morning as if to make this proceeding uh, just, uh, legal against Jesus. But it was all fixed. Even the handing over of Jesus to Pilate, who was the Roman appointed governor over Judea. Keep in mind that the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead. We knew that. We know that that was their intent. That was their motive. That's why they uh, employed Judas. But they did not have the authority to sentence Jesus to death. Only the secular governing authority did. And so they sent Jesus to Pontius Pilate to the express purpose of having him put to death. For that very reason. They knew that Pilate was corrupt, insolent, had no regard for anyone, and treated people with contempt, cruelty, and he was a murderous man. They knew all of this. Perfect. Let's send Jesus to Pilate. He'll take care of it. He'll do exactly what we want to be done to Jesus. To be tried and put to death. In the midst of this, we see how Judas is now remorseful. Verse 3 as we continue. Which says, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore... That field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them uh, for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. The misery of betrayal. And Judas is what we see here. Judas saw what his actions had resulted in, the consequences of his selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, seeing Jesus being condemned to death and led to his death, and he changed his mind. He brought the money back to the chief priests and the elders, and he confessed. He said he had sinned by betraying innocent blood. He knew that all along. He knew that Jesus was not guilty of anything. He hadn't broken the law. And yet he was confessing to the chief priests and the elders, saying that he had sinned by betraying innocent blood. It seems uh, like a pretty genuine moment for Judas. But what we get from this is that Judas was remorseful but not repentant. 
Being remorseful is being sorrowful about the consequences of sin. Being sorrowful about the sin, not for the sin. There's a huge difference between the two. Remorse and repentance are worlds apart. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There are too many people who are remorseful but not repentant. It tends to come to the surface at some point. The true intent of the heart, that they were sorry about the sin but not for the sin. That is why God considered David to be a man after his own heart. Here was a man who had sinned greatly against God. And he wasn't sorry about the sin. He was sorry for the sin. He realized that he had sinned against God and God alone. And so he asked God for forgiveness. He went to him and he demonstrated it by the way he lived his life, that he was truly regretful about what he had done. Regretful about the sin that he had committed. The Apostle Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians, and he wrote these words about godly grief producing repentance that leads to salvation without regret, as opposed to worldly grief that produces death. Because we see it here before us, a worldly sorrow that is sorry about the sin and its results and what it does. And we see it in a very literal sense in the life of Judas that led to death. There is no closure, no reconciliation, no making things right. And therefore, a situation left unresolved tends to rot. Because that is what it is meant to do. Rot. And we are warned about that. It affects everything around it, everyone, everyone around it. Notice that Judas's, Judas's confession was to the wrong people. He should have been confessing his sin to God and asking Him for forgiveness. And the running to make things right, and, and running to make things right to the Lord. In other words, there should have been some sense of urgency within his own life to go to the Lord Instead, he went back to the people that weren't going to do anything about it to begin with. Confessing these things to them. He tried to implicate the elders and high priests by throwing the money into the temple. That's what he was doing. So when you begin to break this down and understand exactly what Judas was doing, you see very clearly that his intentions were not right. His motives were not right. He wasn't broken before the Lord. He was just sorry for the consequences of the sin. And he threw the money into the temple, basically telling them that they were just as guilty about this as he was. And then he left. And he took his own life. He committed suicide. This was not a picture of a man who made things right with the Lord, but a picture of a man who remained in his sin and death was a result of a heart that had rejected Jesus and not been reconciled unto the Lord. 
You know, one of the things that we need to hopefully come to understand is, is that there's always hope in the Lord. And that we can, no matter what we're, we've been through, I know sometimes we tend to cling to those things. We shouldn't. We should let them go. Cast our burdens upon the Lord. Why? Because He cares for us. And know that no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've experienced, no matter what you've done or others have done to you, that you can have a peace which surpasses all understanding in Christ Jesus. Because He tells us that if we do trust in Him, we're not anxious about anything, that He'll cover our hearts and our minds in Him. This was a man who had rejected Jesus and not been reconciled. Don't think for a moment that if Jesus had instead run up to Jesus and sincerely asked him for forgiveness that Jesus would not have willingly forgiven him. There is no depth Jesus' grace and forgiveness cannot reach. You know, you think about that, Judas, it could have been very different. Yes, Jesus would have still gone to the cross. Because that was the Father's plan. But of course, this could have worked out much differently for Judas. It's interesting that the same money that paid for the blood of Jesus is now turned around and said to be unlawful to be put back into the treasury from which it was removed in order to pay Judas to hand Jesus over. But it was to fulfill prophecy. Zechariah 11, 12 and 13 And so it happened that with this money they bought the potter's field. Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13 says, Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. This was written over 500 years before it came to its fulfillment. I, you know, people say there's a lot of coincidences in the Bible. Yeah, there, there are a lot of coincidences in the Bible. It's amazing the number of coincidences that have happened in the Bible that have come to fruition. Prophecy, prophecies that have been fulfilled. Amazing. Here's another one. 550 years later, it comes to pass just as it was prophesied. Amazing. And so it was that Jesus was handed over to Pontius Pilate to be condemned to death and Judas hung himself. And then we have our Lord that was silent before his accusers. As we continue, verse 11 says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. I was thinking of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, which says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
Now, Matthew only records the second time that Jesus appears before Pilate because we know that he came to Pilate, then he was sent to Herod, and then he, came, he was sent back to Pilate. So this is the second time that Jesus is before Pilate. And Pilate had examined Jesus and, and again sent him to Herod and then returned to Pilate, and now he's examining him again. But now we have the chief priests, we have the elders that are there also really bringing forth accusations against Jesus. Remember, keep in mind that Pilate, his character, he was an arrogant, insolent, cruel ruler, and he was murderous. And his manner of handling Jesus was absolutely out of character. It, it wasn't like Pilate to handle someone in this manner. And we know that at Jesus' silence, what it was that he said and what he didn't say greatly amazed Pilate. He was in awe. What was Jesus' accusation? Well, that he was promoting himself as king. He was claiming to be king of the Jews. Well, that's the title that they gave him, right? And yet it was true. He is. This would be an accusation that would demonstrate a defiance to the Caesar of Rome. The question would lead to the determination that Jesus was a threat to the throne of Rome by leading a revolution to dethrone Romans ruler, and would thus lead to Jesus' execution. To the accusation of the Jews, Pilate discerned no threat. That's what he concluded, no threat. As he examined Jesus, even in his question of Jesus, it was not one that waited for an answer, but was more of a rhetorical question. A statement of obvious disbelief is what he was bringing across. Are you the king of the Jews? You? The chief priests and the elders accused Jesus, but Jesus had no answer for them. He remained quiet. Jesus simply answered Pilate with these words, You have said so. You have said so. There was a peace, a calmness, a a gentleness a confident humility and an innocence that was seen in Jesus. And it was evident to Pilate, so much so that I remind you again that he was greatly amazed. We ought to reflect that which greatly amazed Pilate. So often, we demonstrate the very opposite. Anxiety, stress, overwhelm. All of those things. For Jesus, he was innocent. He was gentle, fully in control, confident, answered when it was right to answer, silent when it was right to be silent. There is a time to defend and there is a time to be at peace. With the place that the Lord has you, knowing that there is no resistance that will change the heart of those around you. We're so trying to change everything around us, and the Lord is saying, I'm doing a work in you just as I am in them. Only you be submissive to me and receive it. 
That is what I desire of you. There's a time to simply wait. Another word for that is hope in the Lord. For us, only God can do that. And they are the ones who will be dealt with, for God does not overlook anything, and He is just. But remember, it's on us too. The question was, what evil has He done? And the answer, none. None. Verse 15, as we continue. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, uh, saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two uh, do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. What evil has he done? None. Pilate was prepared to let Jesus go. But the elders and the chief priests convinced the people to ask for Barabbas to be released, who was a known insurrectionist. Uh, He was a murderer. Uh, An insurrectionist is one who attempts to overthrow a government with violence. wait, Wait a minute. He's guilty. We know it. He's a murderer. Jesus, you have no proof of what you're accusing him of. And so you want us to hand over Barabbas to you and condemn Jesus to death. Yes, crucify him. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent and knew that Jesus had been accused out of envy. Envy is a a feeling of discontentment or resentful longing that is known in a person's life because of someone else's possessions or, or qualities. Envy is strong. It is destructive. It is divisive. It'll lead you down the wrong path. If you find yourself envious of someone else's possessions, that's very clear. That's, anyone can see that, right? You, you can acknowledge that. But sometimes we're envious of other people's qualities. Oh, that's, that's just straight wrong. That's, that's evil. To be envious, be discontent. Be resentful towards someone because of the way they are, their their character. Envy, if not checked, can lead to evil intent and maliciousness towards others. Actual intent to do harm. Intending to do something to them. Pilate had already declared Jesus to be an innocent man. And yet here was envy. 
rearing its ugly head, and it resulted in this. But we also have Pilate's wife that came to him and told him that she had a dream that caused her to suffer much. No doubt in heart, emotionally, we don't have the details of this dream. We can make assumptions, we can talk about it, till we go home to be with the Lord, we won't know. We don't know, and it's okay, because what we do have is right before us, and that's what's important. Pilate's wife simply came to him and said, he is a righteous man, and she has suffered much in this dream. Release him. Only the innocent are worthy of being released. And, and she was telling him he's worthy of being released. He has, there's nothing against him. There's nothing there. As Pilate brought Jesus and Barabbas before the crowd and asked them, because that was that, which of the two do you want me to release for you? They said, Barabbas. Now we're... We're not sure. I know uh, the movie, Mel Gibson's movie, you know, has them both there. Uh, We don't know if Barabbas was there or he was in his cell. Nonetheless, he knew that he was a free man at some point, right? The people said Barabbas. And it's just amazing how it is that the elders and the chief priests convinced the people to release Barabbas and destroy Jesus. There is a danger and a warning here that should be heeded by the church because there are corrupt pastors that persuade the people today to receive the world and deny, reject, and even demand that Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, be destroyed. Uh, It's not so direct. It is subtle. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. A little compromise is still compromise. A little sin is still sin. A little unholiness is unholiness. A little bit of the world is still the world. There's no difference between them and these guys. When you walk into a building where quote-unquote, Christian is what is claimed, but worldly thinking and living is what they embrace and practice and teach, persuading the people to request and desire the things of the world over the things of God. There's no amount of the world that can overcome the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, the things of God really should in church overwhelm the things of the world. Pilate asked the question, what shall I do with Jesus? Who's called the Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And there's an exclamation point there because they were emphatic about this very thing, this declaration. They wanted him crucified. They wanted him destroyed. They wanted him to stop talking. That's enough. We don't want to hear one more word come out of this man. Crucify him. Oh, God, help us, because there are many who today do the very same thing. I don't want to hear one more word coming out of you. That's truth. I don't want to hear it. I want to do whatever I want to do. When I do it, however I want to do it, 
with whoever I want to do it. I don't want to hear a thing. That, that's, why, that's why I'm praying for the church. That we would truly come to a, time, a, a place, a, a, a position of submission and, a, and, uh, and, and really surrender to the Lord. That we would have repentant hearts, hearts toward the Lord. That again, the revival would start here. And I tell you, if our hearts are right before the Lord, there, there's no stopping the church that is really completely surrendered, committed, devoted to the things of God. There, there's, there's no stopping. All of you guys, all like us together, um, telling people about Jesus and, and leading them to Christ and bringing them in and then loving on them, discipling them. Just imagine... If just each one of you would just lead one person in the next month to the Lord and then bring them. I'm telling you, just in one month, we would not fit in here. Look around. Just, just one. Just one. one. And you bring them in. I'm not telling you to go to the ends of the world, let alone Judea. Samaria. No, not telling you to go to Samaria. Just Jerusalem. Your Jerusalem. Start paying attention and looking around. Revival needs to start here. We need to do that which we preach. That which we confess. And I tell you, when that happens, we will know. We will know. Pilate attempted to escape responsibility as we look at the last few verses here that we're going to be covering. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. And he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Pilate had already declared Jesus as innocent. But for the sake of gaining the favor of the people, he kept Jesus and then tried to gain his release at Passover. Right? But that failed, and once he saw that he was getting nowhere with the people, he symbolically washed his hands before them. In other words, washing his hands of the situation. And then he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. But he knew that they had no power to condemn to death. And yet, they were demanding just that. And Pilate could not hand Jesus back over to them because he was the only one that had the authority to put Jesus to death. He's the only one that had that authority. So as he's washing his hands... It's like you're going to turn around and condemn him to death. No matter how much Pilate tried symbolically to wash his hands of the blood of this innocent man, he couldn't do it. In reality, Pilate is just as guilty as those who were crying out, crucify him. And let me tell you that it wasn't the Jews 
It wasn't Pilate. It was you and I. By our sin, we ourselves were part of the cause of Jesus going to the cross. We ourselves could join in with those that were in the crowd, crying out, crucify him. Pilate's little show was for nothing. It meant nothing. Pilate was actually a coward, afraid of the people and not God. His courage to lead was a farce, and he, along with the people, were guilty of murder. And the people had no idea what what they were saying. Their declaration was lacking any thought whatsoever. Ignorant. And yet I am reminded once again of the Lord's words from the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That, those words should ring in our hearts. Every time we go out, every time we're wronged, every time someone does something to us, those words should ring in our hearts. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Let me be the light that they need. Let me be that which you have called me to in other people's lives, to speak truth and love, to come alongside and encourage, to be compassionate and continue to reach out even to that one person who continues to bite our hand. Smack that hand away. Tear us down. In love, allow us to continue to have these words ring in our hearts and be a light to a dark world. But then we see how it was that Jesus was scourged. Jesus was scourged or whipped with what is known as a cat of nine tails. A whip with leather strips that had bone and or metal on the ends to tear at the flesh. And it was not uncommon actually for a person to not make it through the scourging that came before crucifixion. This was not intended, or or this was oftentimes intended to bring about a confession from he who was accused And yet Jesus remains silent before them all. I want to read to you Jonathan Edwards' description of what this scourging would involve. Quote, As the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victims back with full force, the iron balls would cause deep contusions. In other words, soften the muscles. And the leather thongs and sheep bones would cut into the skin and subcutaneous tissues. Then, as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Pain and blood loss generally set the stage for circulatory shock. The extent of blood loss may well have determined how long the victim would survive the cross. It goes on to say the severe scourging with its intense pain and appreciable blood loss most probably left Jesus in a pre-shock state. Moreover, the hematidrosis, in other words, blood sweat, had rendered his skin particularly tender. The physical and mental abuse meted out by the Jews and the Romans, as well as the lack of food, water, and sleep also contributed to his generally weakened state. Therefore, Even before the actual crucifixion, 
Jesus' physical condition was at least serious and possibly critical. Close quote. Despised and rejected. Mocked, beaten for you and I. Despised and rejected, yes. But just keep this in mind. He moved forward, he advanced. Remember that when they were in the garden and his accusers, accuser was coming, that he told his disciples, let's get up and go toward being despised and rejected. Keep in mind that he went in this direction but kept his eyes fixed on you and I. Let's think for a moment about Barabbas, a guilty man released. And I want to bring to you to your mind Barabbas in closing because it's important for us to relate to him, to understand what it was that Jesus did even for him. Because Jesus took his place on the cross. What Barabbas deserved, Jesus took upon himself. When we realize that we, like Barabbas, deserve nothing short of eternal condemnation because of our sin, because we are guilty, but like Barabbas, realize that by God's grace, Jesus has paid for our sins and thus are free and have the hope of heaven, we are forever grateful and live accordingly. That's why what we do is simply a, a proper response to the love that was first demonstrated to us. That's all it is. We are servants, we are slaves, if I may, to the one who has given us life eternal, to the one who has forgiven us of all of our sins, past, present, and future, the one who assures us of his glory for all eternity, to be in His presence. We live forever grateful to Him. There is no one that knows the meaning of the cross better than a Barabbas. A person who knows their guilt and is forgiven and set free. I truly and sincerely pray that each and every one of you Know that you in Christ can be forgiven. That in Christ, by belief in Him, and through belief in Him, you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Confessing your sins to Him. Asking Him to be your Lord and Savior. And then understanding that He took your place on the cross. Oh, the response should be a life that is completely surrendered, committed, and devoted to blessing and glorifying the Lord in nothing less. That is why, personally, I serve the Lord in the manner I do. I cannot do enough for Him. Knowing and understanding that it is not my works and it's not my effort that will give me favor before Him, it is simply a response that I believe He is due. And I pray 
that in some way you too come to know that with the Lord. You never look back. You never regret anything that you do with the Lord and especially giving your heart to the Lord completely your whole life. For with that you have gained eternity. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, I pray that you would surrender your heart to him in your seat. And then you would come up afterwards. Normally, Stephen and I are up here. We're just waiting for you guys really to come up for anything, for anything. Trust me, for anything. We would love to pray for for you if you have some kind of uh, health issue, relational issue, um, things that are going on in your life that we can just come alongside and and pray with you, um, for you. But also come up if you have recommitted your life to the Lord. Why? Because we want to help you find strength and know that God is there for you. And if you've given yourself to the Lord for the first time, surrendered your life, no salvation at at the very moment, you cry out to the Lord, forgive me for my sins. Please be my Lord and Savior. We, we would love to know. Why? Because we want to encourage you and help you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and help you to know what it is to walk with the Lord and how to walk with Him. In other words, live your life for Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are once again thankful for your love and for your grace, your mercy that you've extended toward us. And I do pray, Lord, that as we, even before we got into this chapter, Lord, we, we considered the, the darkness of this world And how it is that you came, Lord Jesus, into the cesspool that we may have a way out. That we would know reconciliation. We would know restoration. We would know forgiveness by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would be those vessels that are used by you as instruments in your hands, uh, the hands of a righteous God to bring about and proclaim, be ambassadors of Jesus Christ, do the work of an evangelist, and tell as many people as we can about the good news of Jesus Christ. The hope that we have in you, Father, I pray that we would help others to come to know. And I do pray, Lord, for heavy hearts, for people who are dealing with heavy things here amongst us right now. Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them to be their strength, Father, be their wisdom. Give them discernment. Lord, but through it all, I pray that you would give them perseverance. That they would not be withdrawing from fellowship and from coming and just, oh, Lord, being refreshed by your spirit and by the encouragement that can be received by others, Lord, that are dealing with the same things that they are. 
pray for anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, Father, that today would be the day of salvation, that today they would cry out to you and ask for forgiveness. By belief, just simply crying out to you, Lord, forgive me. Be my Lord and my God. And we would be able to rejoice with all the angels in heaven over one sinner that repents and come alongside them and help them, Lord, to see you for who you are in their lives and what you desire for them. Lord, thank you for being faithful. Bless your people, please, please, I plead with you. Bless your people, pour your spirit out upon us. May we be a people encountered worthy of perhaps being used by you. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.